One of the things I really enjoy in my work is uh, to help people to find the practice which fits their personality, which fits their needs, which fits their rhythms and preferences. And it is for me always uh, such a joy if someone who has been struggling with his or her practice suddenly finds the right shoe. I have this image that finding your own practice is like going into a shoe shop and the salesperson wants to sell you a shoe and you need to be brave enough and loyal enough to who you are and what your needs are to choose the shoes which actually fits you and which is not the best shoe in the mind of the salesperson but actually it fits you. You are the only person who can feel that or can decide that. And you know how it is, it's like you, you, you put on a shoe and you walk a bit and yeah, it looks good and it has the right color and, and the price is also okay, but it's just not comfortable. And how often did you buy the shoes? Even if you felt, yeah, that this will give problems. Or if, you know, out of, I don't know, politeness, you know, you didn't want to, you didn't want to say no to this nice salesperson. Or, and with meditation practice or spiritual practice is much more important than buying shoes. Uh, so it's really important that you become your own, that you rely on your own authority and that you actually are in tune with your needs and your preferences and your interests. And then if you get different spiritual practices or meditation practice being offered, that you try them out but then that you listen to yourself and, and, you, and you know, I mean, you will, you will know when a practice fits you, when a, when a technique fits you or when, when, a, uh, when a teaching fits you. And it's, uh, for me, it's always like in a dialogue with a person when, when, when that happens, it's such a liberation because suddenly the practice, the meditation practice, becomes something joyful and something which feels wholesome, something you really want to do, you know, something good and nurturing, which you give yourself as a gift, like going for a massage. And a practice which is not your shoe, because you, know, you feel you should do it, or it works for so many people, and you might get teachings from a teacher who's really convinced that this is the way, it's, it's so frustrating. It's just like it becomes such a struggle and you might be able to keep it up for a while with discipline, but uh, you are not really, you're not really discovering or cultivating what you want to cultivate in that kind of practice. You, you cultivate discipline and being tough on yourself and, and, and being critical. That's what you cultivate. But that's not what we want to cultivate in meditation. So today I want to do kind of that. I want to give you different shoes. <laughs> so, and, you, and, and you will try them out. And some of the shoes you, f- you, you will feel immediately, no, that's not my thing. 
it does not make sense for me. This is not what I need. I'm not interested in this. And then, and then that's great, because then you can put back that shoe. Yeah? And then hopefully today and tomorrow, when we continue, um, there will be some things, some practices or some insights where you feel, oh yeah, that's what I want to integrate into my, into my practice. This is what I want to integrate into my spiritual path. So that's the main thing. Whatever I offer today, that you listen and that you feel, uh, is that a shoe which fits me? No, and it feels like, ah, yeah, wow, this is what I'm looking for, or yeah, this is what I need right now. And, and maybe in one in one month you need something else. So it's not that. We have one pair of shoes for all occasions and for all times. No, we have all we have we have trekking shoes and we have sandals for summer and we have running shoes, so we have different shoes for different occasions. And that's one of the challenges but also a beauty of the Tibetan tradition that you get all these shoes. It's so many that sometimes you get confused, you don't know which one to choose. It's not so much this weekend that we uh, that I choose one practice and we train it, but it's rather, you know, offering different, offering you sandals and trekking shoes and shoes in different sizes, and then and then you see ah this is something yeah. So you you the main thing is that you rely on your inner authority and that you become independent from the teacher that you make your own, you know, because every teacher is partial. You need to learn to listen to your own authority. What is wholesome for me? And you might notice that it's sometimes a bit uncomfortable, bit, because it's also nice to just say, okay, I don't want to think, I don't want to feel, I don't want to take care about myself, I just want to do what another person tells me to do. Sometimes it's a bit, uh, can be a bit difficult to to be thrown not to be thrown to your own authority to your inner voice to your intuition and to rely on that and to trust that so this morning i want to offer you different objects of mindfulness practice different objects of meditation so to look into while well, there is actually a variety of different things i can cultivate mindfulness with, yeah? And I, I choose the, uh, a, a, a system uh, by a meditation teacher, and this is this one. And this is a way to just divide the different meditation objects. And the name of that guy is Shinsen Yang. He comes from the Zen tradition but he is very open to all, all kinds of traditions and he has a very systematic way to think and put it together. And then, uh, so today we will um, kind of build up a bit the foundation and then tomorrow we will move into the practices of exploring the nature of consciousness, exploring the nature of mind, awareness of awareness. 
So that's, that's kind of the idea. We will start now in the first session, so I will guide you. And already there you can you know, kind of feel the instructions I give, which ones are helpful for you, which, which make you uh, relax and, and, and soften. In the first session, towards the end of this first session, I want to invite us a little bit into a reflection into our intention or motivation, which in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition is a very important part of one's meditation practice. Connect with why are you doing? Why are you here? You know, what, is your, what, is your, what are you seeking and what is your longing? So this is important because our, our intention or our motivation why we're doing things kind of flavors what we're doing. It, it, it flavors the whole day. And then um, I want to, in this first part, I want to introduce you to the standing posture. Because that's also important that we let go of this idea that meditation means to sit in a certain way. Uh, so the Buddha taught four postures, the standing, the sitting, the lying down, and the walking. And uh, so I want to share with you the standing um, posture. Yes, and then there will be a sitting again, and then before the break, which we will have in silence, the break, uh, I will talk a bit about the different objects of mindfulness practice. And then for the rest of the morning, we will kind of meditate through these different, uh, different fields of our experience. So I will guide you into the different sounds, you know, sight, touch, uh, so that you get a sense of um, what is actually, where, where am I naturally interested in? You know, what is joyful for me to observe? Maybe you're someone who really enjoys to explore sound. And if someone tells you, no, you're supposed to explore the breath, and, and it's just it's just not speaking to you. It's just you're not interested in the breath. Why it's it's it felt it feels unpleasant, and uh, so so it's good to to be aware that there's different objects we can uh, play with, we can dance with. Yeah. So I think this morning there will be not so much time for questions and dialogue because I want to keep it a bit quiet and not so much uh, the excitement of you know, sharing your, our opinions. But uh, then this afternoon uh, there will be time for questions after the lunch break. We will have a lunch break around one for one hour. And then uh, we will continue at two. I record this, so you can also listen to it uh, after on my SoundCloud profile. Yes, so let's um, start to 
slide into presence, if you make yourself comfortable, and you might want to close your eyes. We will also sit with open eyes later, but maybe now in the beginning it's a bit easier to connect with your inner life when your eyes are closed. And then just notice what happens when you start to put more attention to your inner life and to what you bring into this moment. It's a gentle uh, shifting, so there's not this precise moment where you know, so now I start to meditate. You just uh, take the time to meet yourself and to allow the body to settle. It feels more like a sliding. Or it's like a leaf falling down onto a lake, kind of slowly, naturally. And in what happens in this movement also is that you find yourself in a deeper connection with your body. So there is a shift from being in the head and being lost in thought to feeling the aliveness in your body. And you can take your breath as a support. So if with the in-breath you allow this movement to happen of sliding with your awareness into the body, even down into your feet. And you notice how the chair and the or the floor carries you. And then with the out-breath, you let go. You give space. And of course, thoughts continue to arise, and they will continue to arise. But as best as you can, take them less serious, or don't emphasize them so much. Drop with your awareness into the trunk of your body.
And as best as you can, you are lovingly curious about the sense of aliveness in the belly, in your hands. So for now, you, you don't need to particularly be very focused on a narrow, narrow area. So you can keep it open and relaxed with a sense of grounding in your hands and your belly. And nothing is excluded. So it's really lovingly present with whatever you find, whatever you bring into this moment. Even if that what you bring into this moment is not that great. then your awareness and your in-breath becomes like healing hands or it becomes like an embrace as if you were picking up a child or you're hugging a friend. So with the in-breath, embracing, befriending, and with the out-breath, releasing the grasping. And if you find yourself entangled in the commentary, as best as you can, let that bubble burst. Let that balloon fly into the sky. And you unhook from thinking. You drop back into the body, into your hands, into your belly. combined, if, if wholesome, with a breath. Stay here with us, with me. In a moment where you have everything you need.
So with the in-breath, embracing. Well, particularly if something shows up which needs some loving attention, And then with the out-breath, relaxing the grasping. And the grasping here means grasping for something different than what is, or something nice, or trying to get rid of something which you don't like so much. So that fist, we open, that grasping, we relax. returning. And then resting. Softening. belly, shoulders, Then if it makes sense for you, I invite you to feel the presence of the Buddha, of the Dalai Lama, Jesus, Karmapa, other masters or teachers, mentors, male and female, Buddhist and non-Buddhist. And we 
invite them. And feel their presence. And it is like the eastern morning sun. After a lonely night, the morning sun breaks through. And you are just sitting in the warmth, in the light. So I invite you to feel the presence of the divine, the presence of unconditioned love in whatever form it works for you. And you feel the warmth in your whole body, from the toes to the top of your head. The loving gaze and the smile. And you feel the flame of inspiration. this call in your heart to wake up. So the aliveness in your whole body, particularly in the trunk of your body and in your hands. And then you Feel how it is to be seen and to be loved, even in your darkest places. And your whole body, every cell of your body opens. Relaxes because you feel safe. And whatever arises for you sensations and thoughts and feelings are just held and seen and loved. So you can let go now. Because in love you are safe.
and the love of the Buddha and the love of Jesus can knows no limits, nothing is too much. So you can really open to that. Knowing what you're open to is your own true self. Tangled, you drop back into the lifeness of your body. And then you open to the radiance all around you from all directions. If you would feel truly loved right now, how would that be? If you would feel truly safe, how would that be? So if you have imagined these people in front of you, they dissolve into light. And this light enters your body and your heart. back where it comes from. And it fills your heart completely. And your heart opens like a flower. And the light breaks through into your chest and then filling your body 
and radiating out through the pores of your body. And you are like Jesus, like Tara, like the Dalai Lama, like the Great Mother. So you feel you are the Goddess, you are the Buddha. wisdom and love into all directions. And then towards the end of this first meditation, inspired by the role model of the Buddha, the Karmapa, the Dalai Lama, other mentors, people you find inspiring, Let's see if we can, if you can align yourself with your deepest concerns, with your deepest longings. So if you breathe gently into your heart, sense an undercurrent of meaning in your life. 
an impulse to grow, to come home, to heal. inspire to sing your song to be authentic see if you can align yourself with that pull towards something which is bigger than you Tibetan Buddhist tradition that is called bodhicitta, the awakened heart. Maybe in the beginning of this day we can put this day into this frame of bodhicitta so that we are here as part of our awakening. That we are here aligned in harmony with our deepest longings, our deepest concerns. that we are going to die. It's such a wonderful thing to feel that this day is a meaningful day in your life. and your breath.
So let's uh, go into the standing posture. And while you do that, uh, just notice, you know, if your body wants to stretch a bit or so you just uh, do something nurturing. And uh, then I will uh, guide a meditation in, in the standing posture. So if you start to feel dizzy, which can happen, uh, you will move the body a little, and then you just sit down. So don't, uh, don't make this an uh, exercise in endurance. Uh, so make this an exercise in friendliness. So see that your uh, feet are not too far, not too close, so that you get a stable stance. And we will do some simple movements, but our eyes will be closed, so nobody will see. So it's not about uh, doing it right, it's really uh, just uh, connecting with the body. So if you close your eyes and if your knees are locked, see if you can bend them slightly so the energy can flow. So you really drop down into your feet. So as best as you can let go of this illusion that you are somewhere up in the head and you're looking down but you really drop into your feet and then you notice how your weight is distributed in your feet and start to swing back and forth a little and this movement, see if you can soften any kind of rigidity, any kind of effortly, with effort holding things together. So if you can soften that a bit. So you allow yourself to be a tree, really rooted, but also resilient. So there's a movement with your breath, and there's a movement with your feelings. So this is important to discover that the meditation posture is never uh, fixed. Also the sitting posture is always moving and alive. We are not like soldiers, but rather like a tree rooted and going with the wind. belly is soft. You can also move a bit to the side. 
shoulders can soften. And in this way, with these subtle movements, we allow our skeleton to find this place of alignment or balance with gravity. So that the skeleton stands by itself and all your muscles can really relax. Like in the meditation posture, the chest is a bit open, but it, not, not that you press it out, but you make yourself available, like soft and vulnerable in the front. And also like in the meditation posture, the head is balanced and the chin is slightly tucked in. there's a certain dignity in this posture. It, it says like, I have the right to be here. This is my space. This is my place. Belly is softening, shoulders are softening. could imagine that there's a string attached at the top of your head, pulling you up a bit. And with these slightly movements, some kind of moving around that point of balance. Softening and opening. The whole body is alive. drop into the trunk of your body. Let go of this idea that you are sitting in your head and you have a body. Right now you are the body, the whole body, every cell of your body. you bring your hands up to your face, palms of your hands, you put them gently onto your face. Shoulders stay relaxed. And see if you can make that touch, a really gentle, friendly touch. Not just touching the thing, your body, but really touching something very precious, something lovable. And then you gently give yourself a massage with your fingers and with the palm of your hand, while you just caress your face. And see if you can do it as if you are touching someone you are in love with, someone you care about. 
Notice how deep into your body you can feel this touch. Probably you can feel it in the belly, but even maybe down into your feet. You can also touch your neck. You go a bit into your hairs. And, and so this is a meditation. So what that means is whenever you find yourself emphasizing the storyline, you come back, you become more intimate with the experience. And here, uh, intimate with the experience means to be become intimate with caring. How does it feel to care and to touch? Also, go to your ears, massage your ears, also there probably uh, you can feel the sensation even down into your toes. So you get a sense how uh, your whole body is connected. Knees are slightly bent. And then you let your hands flow down again. And you go back to the tree posture, being rooted with the Scandinavian earth. but also very alive and flexible. There's nothing disciplined, military in the posture. So if you feel rigidity, see if you can, with subtle movements and the breath, soften. Front is soft vulnerable because you feel the strength of your back and the strength of your posture. So this is one feature of a meditation posture is the open and soft front and the strength in the back. So we will roll our neck now. Uh, so if you let your head drop forward, the chin towards the chest, and you Breathe into this posture, relax the shoulders, knees are slightly bent. Notice the sensations in your shoulder blades, down into your back. Maybe you can feel it even down in your waist. And 
then you imagine one of these air cushions around your neck, and on that cushion you roll your head to the side and to the back, and you do it in your pace. And also this, as best as you can, you do it in a nurturing way, in a caring way if you give yourself a massage. And again, it's a meditation, so you keep the movement in the foreground of your awareness, in particular with the attitude of caring. it might be not so easy for you to connect with a sense of caring. Maybe you do it rather mechanically. Maybe you get bored by it. Maybe this is not what you want to do actually. So all that is allowed. Actually all of that we are curious about. you also turn into the other direction. You can also change the pace, maybe doing it a bit more slow or more quick. Both feet are firmly planted on the ground. Next time, when you come to the front, you pause, breathe into the posture, with the out-breath letting go. And then you slowly bring your head up again. And notice what happens when you go back a bit into the open chest sense of dignity, standing like a Buddha. And then we roll our hips, so you bring your head up to your hips, have your hands up to your hips, and you bend your hips a bit forward as much as you want, and then you turn to the side and to the back, and again you can do very slow movements, or if you want to do it a bit more forcefully. And again you really drop with your awareness into your hips, 
feel them from inside, not from above. And you breathe into this moment, movement with some nurturing attitude as best as you can. Most of us we have feel some tension or some tightness in the lower back. Or breathe into that and with a sense of appreciation you move your hips you also do it the other way around This is a meditation, so you draw back into the movement, you stay intimate with the movement. And it is quite easy to stay intimate with the movement if you become curious about it. When you get a sense of, wow, this is really precious, it's amazing, and I'm going to miss it, being able to move my hips. So sometimes that's enough to just feel this aliveness. to fall in love with this a bit, with yourself, with the movement, with the beauty of your hips. That's really good for your serotonin level. become slow, more slow, and your hands go down again, and notice the aftermath of the movement, how is your feet now, can you feel the aliveness or the chi, the prana in your hands? community of millions and millions of cells.
So the last thing is that we uh, lift our hands so they float up on both sides till they reach the level of your shoulders. So you make a cross or you open your wings. And you hold your hands there. You feel the connection between the palms of your hand and your heart. Breathe into this posture, shoulders are relaxed, knees are slightly bent, you are in balance with gravity, and you breathe into this posture. gently slow. You come down, hands float down. And you allow the energy to flow. Feel the sensations in your hands, the energy in your hands, in your belly. lifeness in your whole body. <clears throat> and we do that one more time. So hands are floating up to the level of your shoulders. Chin is slightly tucked in like in the meditation posture. Chest is open. Open your wings, feeling the connection between the palms of your hand and your heart, and breathing into that space. float down again. is alive. See if you can let go of the mental image of the body. 
sense of presence in the whole field of sensations. almost as if the whole body is breathing. And then we sit down again. So you sit in the aftermath of the movements. Lifeness in your hands. And notice how there's nothing solid, nothing concrete within the body if you let go of the mental images and you stay with your direct experience
then when you notice that you get caught in the commentary without making a big deal, you drop back with a loving curiosity. Being lovingly aware is nurturing in itself. It's really a gift you can give to yourself. Just sitting quietly now. Noticing whatever arises. Breathing into that. Then whatever your content is, whatever the content of your experience is, your thoughts and sounds, sensations, we can also appreciate the stillness or the peace surrounding and underlying the movements. So let's go there a little bit. Listen to that a little bit with your whole body or touch that.
and returning, returning and resting. And then leaning into the peace, leaning into the stillness. And you don't need to calm down for that, or you don't need to have better feelings or better thoughts. So what I mean here with stillness and peace is the space within which this moment is happening, the space which we share. There's always always the sky. invite you to glimpse into that, into that which is bigger than you. And rest there.
So before the break, I want to um, introduce you to this uh, map, uh, which we already uh, explored aspects of. And then uh, after the break, um, I want to dance with this a bit, and this afternoon also. Starting uh, with um, two different views uh, um, in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition, the progressive path view and the direct path view. So today we will emphasize the progressive path practices and the progressive path methods. And the view is in this uh, in this model of the path is you're not there yet, and there's methods, and if you are good at it, and if you train, then you will get there in the future. So that's the progressive path, and this is a very this is I think the 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 view most people have also in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition. Most practitioners have that kind of idea. Then, because this can't be heaven, so heaven must be somewhere else. How do I get there? By praying and doing prostration and doing my yoga and eating the right diet and getting myself a Tibetan name. And then, somewhere, maybe in my next life, when I manage to be a male Tibetan, I can uh, I can become enlightened, and it really fits into our culture. Uh, it's the idea in psychotherapy. It's uh, it's the idea in our education. So we are very much uh, uh, we are very much um, into that kind of thinking, into the progressive thinking, and. Uh, and of course, there's a lot of benefit in, in, in that view and into the practices. We will talk about this a bit today. But then tomorrow, and a little bit already today, uh, we will also move into what is called the direct path view. And the direct path view says something like, hey, the problem is that you think that you are not there yet. The problem is that the problem is, first, that you think there is someone. <laughs> that's, that's where the trouble starts. And, and then that someone is, uh, is not okay. That someone should, you know, should work hard to be someone else, have different feelings, different, different experience, a different kinds of life, maybe also a different body, like more flexible, bigger muscles, more compassionate, yeah? And, uh, and then, yeah, and then there is a path, and then there is a goal, yeah? And all that exists. Uh, so that's what the progressive path says. The direct path says, that's the problem that you think like that. So the direct path is pointing, pointing directly to that which is already home in you, that which is already whole. 
it's Jesus saying, heaven is now. He's not saying, yeah, heaven will be when we are all good and we all love each other, then is heaven. No, heaven is now. So, and in the, in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition, this view, the direct path view, is most, most radically hold in the Mahamudra and Dzogchen tradition of Tibetan Buddhism. But you find this direct path view in all spiritual tradition, because all spiritual tradition rests on the mystic experience of their founders, or the mystical experience. And the mystical experience is not, it's not happening in the future, it's not happening after we are perfect. The mystical experience is this, it's happening now, it's a matter to discover it. So, usually uh, our own path is a mixture of both. Maybe, classically it would be like in the beginning, let's say the first 20 years, progressive path methods, yeah, working hard, trying to get somewhere, developing this and that. And then once you get 50 around, yeah, kind of giving up on that, <laughs> because you realize, yeah, so now I tried to fix myself for 20 years, and I'm just still, you know, not much happened. <laughs> and you kind of give up. I mean, you learned, of course, and you healed a bit, and you're in a better state if the progressive path went well, if you did it kindly and gently, and you had good teachers, so you didn't, you didn't damage yourself, because that's possible in the progressive path. Um, and then, uh, and then you, you start to see, wow, yeah, Maybe it's about acceptance. Maybe it's about loving what is. What happens then if I do that? And for some people, it's a mixture from the beginning. Like, so, yes, progressive path, but gently, friendly, not aggressively, not violently, as a kind of self-improvement project, but like naturally and kindly. And then, when possible, and when it's being offered in one's own practice, also again and again for short moments, experiencing that you are already there, that this is it, this is the oneness. And so the oneness is not something in the future, this is, this is it. So. Today, I, we will pretend that there is someone and that there is a path. And, uh, and I will also say, I will tell you how wonderful these practices are and how healing and how helpful they are. And then tomorrow we will uh, move into, into the direct view. That does not mean that we put the pro progressive path methods down or that they are that they are for beginners or something. That's not, uh, that's, not, um, that's, not, that's not helpful to think like that. You will feel, you, know, you will feel in which areas, let's say, for example, you notice that you're very much affected by a childhood trauma you have had. 
and more or less we are all affected by that. So by the many moments where we were not receiving the love we deserved. And so there's a wound in us. And the, to address that wound and to work with it, it's, of course, that's, very, that's, that's really wise to do that and to, and to look at it. like a fanatical uh, direct path practitioner would say you know, this is just ideas it's the past it's not here you know so don't 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 dwell on it don't look at it look at that which is already whole in you your buddha nature was not affected by your childhood trauma at all and that's who you really are But you feel, ah, no, that's not where I am right now. I actually, it, it feels good and wholesome, and this is where I am right now. I want to uh, do some work there and use a progressive path method, like psychotherapy, working with the inner child, with that part of me. And then, of course, what happens when you heal that a bit with the progressive path methods, the direct path will be more accessible and more genuinely livable for you. You will be able to access the, the oneness in, in more easily. You can more embody it and you can more share it with others. So they go, they go hand in hand. Uh, in, in some Tibetan tradition, the direct path is something which is shared more with the people who are experienced. You know, they are seen as a bit more advanced, these practices. Uh, but it's not in all of them. So that's one thing. And the other is, there is this continuum in, our, in, in, in working with different objects in meditation. And that's the continuum of focus, what you would maybe call concentration, also that's not a good word in meditation, because we don't want to develop effort, effortful concentration. Uh, but there is this practices where you emphasize a bit more the focus. Yeah? And then on the other end of the continuum is uh, what is called open choiceless awareness, open focus. Uh, to describe that to you is, um, let's take the example of going to a beach. So you go to a beach, you relax, you sit down, you assume your posture. So a focus meditation would be, there's a seagull, and you, and that's the object of your meditation. And we will look into the different objects. Yeah? Now, I, now I talk about how to relate to these different objects. And there is this way where you Choose an object, the seagull, and then you follow the seagull. And then you get distracted, and then you bring back your attention. So this kind of practice, we need to be clear why we are doing it, what the benefits are, and, and, and what we are heading towards. Yeah? So that's important. We need to talk about that. You need to understand why would you do that. And... You know, what is the benefit of it? So, 
And a lot of the practices we learn in the different spiritual traditions, they are like that. They are focus practices. So you need to then learn how to focus and and what, um, why you focus, and also um, uh, on what to focus. What kind of objects are fitting you? So the other end of the continuum, the open focus, is so you sit on the beach, you open all your senses. Open choiceless awareness, panoramic awareness. So, and the seagull comes, yeah? But, but the seagull is just part of the whole experience. So there's also the waves, there's the sensations in your body, there's the sounds, and you are just open. And you're not focusing on something particular, but the object is like the, is everything, including the space within which everything is happening. And we will, I will guide you into that. Yeah? Um, this is also called, uh, in, the, in the meditative tradition, this is called shamatha with object. Shamatha is Sanskrit, uh, and it means uh, peacefully abiding with an object. Yeah? Peacefully abiding with an object. So that's uh, shamatha with object, and this is called shamatha without object. So it is uh, peacefully abiding without an object. Of course, there is an object, but it's the whole thing. Everything is the object. So that's why it's called without object. So both, uh, both ways, and again, this one is, more, is, me, is being taught more for beginners. And this one, it's kind of a bit hidden. It's, it's like uh, it's not you know you if you go to a, a Tibetan teacher teaching about meditation, he's not going to start with this. He's going to start with that, yeah? and then maybe depending on the tradition, he might move to this. And of course, the open focus meditation is somehow connected with the direct path methods. I, I will, I will. Uh, make that connection tomorrow. Yeah? It's kind of a preliminary move, uh, the open choiceless awareness into the direct path method. So in our practice, we have to tune in. <coughs> where, where am I? What is wholesome for me? So usually what I do when I lead a meditation, I you know, offer an object, for example, the sensation in your hands. So that would be a focus practice, the sensation in your hands. And then at one point, I might invite another. I might, invite, I might say, okay, there's also the sounds, there's also the thoughts. So I open the space. So now it's like, it's very personal, and depending on where you are, and how agitated you are, and how sleepy you are, and also your preferences. For some people, they just like to be a bit more stable and a bit more focused, and it's just, you know, your mind goes there, particularly if you have trained breathing meditation for a while, for example. Then 
if you, if you let go of control, then you notice that your mind just goes there and brings the breath into the foreground. And it has nothing effortless. It has nothing with effort. It's not like, oh, I need to concentrate on the breath. It's just something which happens naturally. And for some people, it's just so wonderful to experience, wow, I can actually more easily calm down and find some peace when I let go and when I open into the space and I don't focus on something particular. And, and then there is like, you know, a bit of a mixture sometimes when I say then, okay, if you get lost, go back to the sensation in your hands. You know, stabilize a bit, you focus a bit, and then you can open again. There can be also a bit of still kind of staying a bit in contact with your hands, but kind of beginning of opening. So what I'm saying here does not make sense at all if you have not done this, yeah? but uh, I, I kind of prepare you for that. We will explore this. And then in your sitting, you just have to, uh, when, you, when you sit on your own, you just tune in. So where am I on this continuum? Where, where is it? What is wholesome to do for me now? So, these are like two... So now we will move into the objects, yeah? the different objects, the different sense objects. And so, these are the channels. And uh, the smell and taste... Um, I kind of, what, what Jensen Young dropped, or he put it into this category. Yeah? So to, to simplify it a bit. So there's the visual channel, there's the auditory channel, and then the somatic channel is the, the, what you feel with the body, in the body, somatic, yeah? a somatic experience. So that's the three channels. And we can switch the channels. Like I could say now, Okay, close your eyes and listen. So then you're here. Or I could say, open your eyes and look at the flowers. So then you are, then you are there. Yeah? So we have this capacity. Somehow, it's a mystery how we do it, but we, somehow we can move our attention to different, to different channels and to different objects within the channels. It's quite amazing because we're moving something non-material. We have no idea how to do it, but we can do it. Um, and this is a very, uh, so that's the mental factor. You know, there's, one, uh, there's different mental factors in meditation, which we, uh, which we use in meditation. This is the teaching from the so-called 51 mental factors from Buddhist psychology. And, and one of the mental factors, I will mention the other ones later, is attention. And, and this is amazing because the way you feel depends a lot on what you pay attention to. So, like, like let's say you, know, you would be a builder and you would sit in this room and you would see all the mistakes. And that's where your mind would go. You, know? you would look, ah, this is, oh, they did really a bad job. What a shitty room. It's really ugly. And the wood and 
does not fit and I would have done it completely different. So we could imagine that, that someone is sitting here in this room and we think, oh, it's a, an okay room and it fits its purpose. But someone else, by paying attention to what is wrong from his point of view, creates a very unpleasant room. So the power of attention is, uh, is really important. And the kind of freedom we have. We ha don't have co complete control, but we have a certain freedom. And that's actually one, one thing we train in meditation is to be aware of what we pay attention to and to cultivate habits of paying attention to something meaningful. You could say that meditation is the art of paying attention to that which is meaningful for you, that which is wholesome for you. That's what you pay attention to in meditation. So this is a very important factor to look into. Um, so these three channels, and then we have the first uh, distinguishing um, the different objects to pay attention to with these three channels in inner and outer. Inner objects, outer objects. So actually one purpose to do this is to start to deconstruct inner and outer, which we will do tomorrow. But for now, in the beginning, just to have two different categories uh, of objects, it makes sense to talk about inner and outer objects. Yeah? And then tomorrow we will deconstruct this. So in the visual, just so that I get the word, words right, uh, in the outer it is, of course, sight. So, of course, it makes sense to say this is an outer object. Yeah? It isn't, and I will, we will look into that tomorrow. But right now, as I said, we are in the progressive past. So right now we are pretending that there is a person inside there, and there is an outside world out there, which you can pay attention to. We are pretending that. Because also that's the way we feel most of the time. That there is a me here, and that there's a out, out, world out there. So, outer uh, visual objects, they are actually also in the Tibetan tradition. They are instructions. So, it is a possible object of our meditation to meditate, uh, to meditate on a flower, to meditate on a Buddha uh, posh, uh, Buddha statue, to meditate on a flame. To, and uh, a beautiful practice is the practice of sky gazing, yeah? which is uh, you know, beach gazing. Yeah? Another beautiful practice is baby gazing, or, or beautiful, beautiful, uh, a beautiful young person gazing. <laughs> it's, it's a fantastic practice. You, you also you get your endorphins going and. So visual uh, sight. Uh, in the outer auditory is sound, and sound is a really good object. So we will we will play with that. Music. 
waves. It's it's a really uh, good uh, good object to uh, to pay to pay attention and to develop this capacity of focus and returning. Yeah. And uh, what is uh, really wonderful in sound is um, by doing this, uh, choosing sound as your object, it's a good place to start to experience how this, the annoying part of a sound is not in the sound, but it's in the way you look at it. So, it's it, many people have the f start start to have this experience with sound the first time that it is not the thing out there which makes me feel in a certain way, but what me, makes me feel in a certain way is how I relate to that thing out there. That's what, but that's not how it appears to me. When you find a sound annoying it seems that the annoyance comes from there, like from outside to here. And then we blame the sound. Or the partner, or you know, whatever it is. But sound is a good example of that. So, this uh, exploration of sound, is it, it works with all the others, but with sound somehow it's, it's quite easy. Uh, particularly if you have an annoying sound and like in a retreat for example and it always happens I mean you do retreat and in the same time the neighbors neighbors start to build you know it always happens it's like the Buddha's manifest you know, to, 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 to show us something so and then you have two choices you have a week of retreat and there's the building noises in the neighborhood and you get upset and angry and you feel your waste your, you waste your time or you shift your perspective mm. and, uh, and so that's uh, that's how sound is can become a very good uh, a good a good object to, to teach us that so um, here on the somatic level is touch and that's of course a fantastic touched, I mean, your mind, like, you know, like just lying down in the lying down posture and someone putting your, his hand on your belly. And this is a fantastic object because you will really like it and, you, and your mind becomes really curious about it and uh, it's easy for you to go back and you have all the reactions and, the, and so on. So it's it's uh, one uh, wonderful uh, touch object is you know the this uh, mudra of self-compassion. We will do that later. So to put your hand to touch yourself. Also, we when know when when you know, when you remember this um, kind of little massage. Yeah. Yeah. So that's. Uh, that's a wonderful object. You know, if you have a cat, just sit with the cat in your lap. Make that the meditation object. This is not more or less holy than meditating on the breath or something like that. And it is something which you might feel very 
you know, very drawn to and is joyful and uh, and the problem would be probably to really appreciate it as a meditation and not saying oh I'm just sitting here with with my cat and I enjoy it yeah that's not meditation meditation needs to be a bit tough a bit hard so that's the outer Walking meditation, no touch, the, uh, no the like all the yoga, the fitness center, no touching things. Yeah, and then if we take the taste and smell into it, so eating, yeah, so um, smell, taste, eating, uh, eating, eating. Since we, that's something we do every day, if we would just take a few minutes in the beginning of every meal to just be present for it, then we have already uh, some mindfulness practice, some meditation practice. So now the inner. In the, visit, in, in the visual, it's mental images. In the, in the Tibetan tradition, uh, the, the focus practices is mainly mental images. So that's uh, in other tradition, like in, I don't know, in, in Zen meditation, for example, you would maybe, uh, the main focus would be on the rising and falling of the belly or something like that. But in the Tibetan tradition, and they would, some Buddhist tradition would say, the Tibetans say are crazy. What they meditate upon, they make something up and then they meditate upon that. It's, why do they do that? Yeah, But uh, the mental images, uh, they are used in the Tibetan tradition a lot. For example, this practice, this part of the practice we did this morning, where I invited you to imagine a teacher or a Buddha. So that is meditating on a mental image, and that's one of the most spread practices within the Tibetan tradition. And they do that because you have a combination of focusing on a mental image, but you also have an emotional response to it. So you have that benefit also of inspiration, of lifting your energy, of uh, connecting with something like compassion, connecting with some friendliness. So you have a combination uh, uh, between this and, and this, yeah. So the mental images and the emotional response to it. So that's why they do that. And then they use uh, mental images also as beginners because it's a preparation for tantric practices, where you work with mental images. So on the auditory, it's the inner dialogue. And of course, this is such a gift. Uh, if we become more aware of, if we become more aware of the way we talk with, with ourselves. So if you feel miserable, if you feel sad, if you feel if you have a bad day, 
Look at your inner dialogue. What's happening there? Even on, on a kind of a bit almost like pre-conscious level. And, and it's probably part of you feeling miserable is you're just talking with a in a nasty way with yourself. Mm. You're criticizing yourself. You're putting yourself down. So this is really a gift. And uh, we here uh, we, we will work with that uh, this afternoon. I want to show you one one meditation. I will talk, say something about. It. And then somatic is um, how's it called? Uh, feelings. Yeah. So it's the I just write feelings. Yeah. Um, it's also called the felt sense, the felt sense of emotions. Um, so what, what is meant with that is uh, the somatic aspect or the felt sense of your emotions. So that means, for example, anger. You know, anger has this cognitive aspect, but anger has also that somatic aspect, that felt sense, of, felt sense aspect. And this is, this for me is my, is my main practice, one of my main practices. So always to turn a loving curiosity towards following the question of how does this feel in my body? What is happening in my body? Working with that. So there will be probably time this afternoon to talk a bit about, about this very important as disembodied people you know, to be to, to become curious about that and to find out that we can work with difficult emotional states by loving them to death in our body instead of trying to figure things out in on the cognitive level which most of the time makes things worse we get more and more upset more and more angry more and more despair by trying to figure it out. Whereas if we lovingly embrace with the breath the felt sense of that despair in the body, we will quite quickly start to feel some relief. So this is very important. So now, within these, we have the options to turn our attention to restful states. To re so this is, um, this is something, this is one of the gifts of meditation is that, <coughs> that we start to see that even in a crisis, there is aspects in our experience which are restful, which are more peaceful. Let's say, let's, let, let's uh, use sound as an example. So the restful state is quiet. Quiet. So let's say uh, there's some, some noise here. So now we could pay attention to the noise, yeah, and get upset about it, or we could pay attention to the quietness 
underlying and surrounding the sound. And there's always quietness. Like the, the air condition. So you can, you can work with the air condition in a way that it really upsets you, but you could also use the air condition, the sound of the air condition, to get to know the silence around the air condition, around the sound. In the body, it is relaxed. So, in an agitated state, one way to work with that is to go towards it, to embrace it. The other way is to go to your feet, who are quite fine. So you are kind of, oh wow, I'm so agitated, I'm so afraid. And then I would ask you, hey, yeah, okay, that, yeah, so I get, that must be so difficult. But how are your feet? And you are like, yeah, okay, let's look at the, like, and then you go into the feet, and then you, and, and so you, you, you take your attention away from the agitation, not in the sense that you try to suppress it, it's, it's, we need to talk about it when it, this becomes unskillful, but because out of care, out of kindness, and you turn to that which is more relaxed in your body, and you kind of, the agitation dies through neglect. So, neglect, so you don't feed it by paying attention to it, but you withdraw your attention and you bring your attention to that which is relaxed, which is peaceful, which you, because uh, your mind out of habit goes into the trauma, into the agitation, uh, which is, which probably will need some resistance. You don't want to go there. You don't want to go there where it's good. It's a good, uh, it's a good insight, because we attach to suffering. Yeah, can you recognize that sometimes in other people who are like stuck, and and you can see there would be so. So, so many things they could enjoy in their life, but they, get, they, are, they focus on, they are single-pointed concentrated, they're really good in meditating on what is bad in their life. And you are kind of, it's like, hey, you know, you kind of, you want to pull the attention, kind of, and, and say, look, your feet, they are happy, you have happy feet. Look there. That does not mean that you that we deny that there's difficulties, that's not what it means. But we, we also acknowledge there is something more. Mm. Yeah. So that's what you do here in this, in this re category restful. Yeah. In the visual, it's space. And uh, this is really a, a wonderful art to discover in meditation. Uh, both, I, I mean all three. So, like, a beautiful practice is every morning you open the window if you see some sky, and you look into the sky. You experience space. 
then you combine it with experiencing quiet. So you open the morning, you listen to the quietness behind and, uh, and between all the sounds, and you notice how that makes, makes you feel in the body. So you notice, ah, that's, it relaxes me to look into space and quiet. To look into space, to listen into quiet, it relaxes my body. So, and then you look there. And they kind of, they can, they can kind of become loops. Yeah? Like they, they, they support each other, these three restful places. So, the last is uh, the positive. So this is a bit of a different category because in this, in this, there's a cultivation. This is, all this is noting. Yeah? So here, you just notice what is. You're not creating any. You're just working with, with the material, which with the uh, what is the, what is there, but here uh, you you consciously it's kind of you manipulate your experience. You consciously do something uh, to uh, to have a positive effect on your mental state, and in the visual is positive mental images. So I already talked about that here, yeah? positive mental images. So if you are in this uh, kind of practices, here it's actually about working with the mental images which arise. Yeah? So memories. So we will talk about that. Here, you choose a positive mental image, for example, your, your, your teacher, Tara and you work with it, Jesus. Yeah? So this is, in the auditory, is positive mental talk. Which is mantra. And to, this afternoon I want to share with you a very precious mantra. I just write it down, a very precious mantra, which I will teach you tonight, uh, this afternoon, and that is, I love myself. So that's the mantra I'm going to teach you tonight. After lunch, I love myself. So that would be positive mental talk. Here it is about working with the mental talk which is there. Here is consciously affecting your mental states by using a mantra. I love myself. On the 
Somatic, it's uh, positive feelings. So that would be uh, using, for example, meta meditation. So, you, of course, these categories, they overlap. You can't really put them into, into this. But so there's meditations. So, for example, meta meditation, where you uh, uh, use uh, positive mental images, positive mental talk, to trigger positive feelings, and you make those positive feelings the main the main focus on your in your meditation, returning to that, exploring that, and we will do that. Uh, this afternoon with this practice I love myself. 